I'm kicking off a message today called A Blessed Nation, and it's probably going to end up going again into next week, but God really laid some things on my heart almost like a year ago, and I was studying the Word just in a time of devotional, and I came across some scriptures that really just drew me in. You know, God does that sometimes, right? When we're just reading the Word and hearing from Him, and then all of a sudden, He kind of pulls us in a direction like, let me speak to you about this. And uh, he started to just kind of open my eyes to some things about what it means to be a blessed nation. You know, nations rise and nations fall. It's happened all throughout time. And there are biblical precedents and principles that speak to nations that rise according to the hand and favor of God and when they also fall. And uh, I began to really pursue the study of this all through the scriptures and God just kind of opened this thing up to me in a way that I'd never seen before and it just kept coming and coming and coming and here lately I felt like he just said hey I want you to I want you to preach this message and do it around you know fourth of July and so I started compiling everything as best as I could into um, a way of delivering it as a message so today I'm gonna kick that off and I hope that it blesses you most importantly, I hope that it sparks something in you. I hope that it, it causes you to recognize that you have a mission and that we as the church are mandated to really make a difference in society, to make an impact in our nation that really is helping God and the church to be the leading, guiding voice in the direction of the spiritual climate in our land. And when we do that, when we submit to the will of God and, and really put Him first and allow the Bible to be our standard, it, kind of, it puts us in a position where God can bless us and He can lift us up into a place of favor and influence like only He can do. And we've heard that statement, right? We are a blessed nation. I've said that a million times if I've said it once. And it's so true. But why is that? Why are we a blessed nation? Is it because we have a lot of assets? Is it because we have a great economy? Is it because we have a great military? I think certainly those are symptoms of the blessing. I think really what it means when we say we are a blessed nation is that the hand of God and the favor of God has literally been upon this country since its inception. When you go back to the beginning when our forefathers founded the United States, there were so many things that they put in place that aligned with biblical principles. In fact, they sought the wisdom of God and the direction of God in the decision-making process of really establishing the bedrock of our nation that would be continue for hundreds of years thereafter. And I do believe, I just submit this to you, that that is a big reason why we've seen so many things throughout the last couple centuries in our country that we've been a blessed nation because biblical principles were put in place from the very beginning to align us to be able to live and rest under the hand of God in the favor of God but just like a hand of God can come upon a nation and it can really bless a nation the hand of God can also come off of a nation it's happened many times we'll see examples in the scriptures of where that's so but a hand of God can literally come off of a nation and then what that means is the favor and the protection and the blessing that they've been living under and resting under begins to lift 
and they become vulnerable and open to so many new attacks and things of the enemy that will ultimately, the enemy wants to decay and deteriorate the, the society all the way down to where everything is just destroyed and dysfunctional. And so um, think about this for a second. When the country was starting to, uh, when the pioneers were settling across the land, moving across the United States, going into new territory, new villages, new towns that they were settling and establishing. There were some interesting things that they did in the beginning to sort of set the rudder. You know, you, it tells you where their priorities were. For example, they would almost always start by setting up a school so that they could educate and raise their, their children well. But they would also set up and establish a place of worship. They would have a church there. So once a little community had a church, had a school, maybe a couple of businesses, it, was, it started to be viewed as an established little community, a good place to live where people could come, they could raise their families. But they understood the importance and the significance of really looking towards God and the Bible as a guiding place for their society. They recognized that they needed to allow the Word of God to speak into and lead and guide everything that they were trying to build and construct in their lives and in the lives of their community. Does that make sense? Like it was, it was a priority. It was put there. And now, today, in our nation, if we're honest, in a, in a sense, the church has kind of lost her voice a little bit in that regard. The church has become more of a segregated area, a compartment of society. In fact, if you study like economics and civics in school, they'll teach you this concept, which is that there are basically seven major pillars or parts of society. And we know that one of them is uh, business. We have government on the political side, families, education, so our schools and everything. We have the media. We have the military. And then we have the seventh one for religion. Now, the challenge with this mentality, if we view life this way, is that we can tend to view our walk of faith and the place that God has access to as only being this small compartment of our lives that is really equally as relevant as everything else. And what I would just suggest to you is to recognize that a, a nation and a people who are blessed are a people who are putting God first in a way where really He is enveloping everything. That He is the ultimate say-so, and the Word of God is our ultimate authority in matters that are pertaining to our life. There is a regard and there is a respect and a reverence for the Holy Bible as like the ultimate standard that we aspire to. This is what we hold all things up against in terms of is it moral? Is it right? 
Is it prosperous? Is it, is it going to cause us to be blessed? And if we go outside of that to sort of evaluate things, then what we do is we begin to shift from seeking the wisdom of God towards seeking the wisdom of man. And that's kind of the beginning of the downfall of a society as we'll start to see in a minute. But there is a scripture that really kind of like grabbed me that began this whole thing. And I'm going to put it up. Uh, it's Proverbs 14, verse 34. I want you to listen to this and just really let's kind of break this down for a minute. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, sin condemns any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. And when I saw that, it just it grabbed me right away. And I'm like, wow, that's unbelievable. First of all, the thing that I see is that God can and desires to exalt a people. That He wants to raise a nation up in a way where it has influence for Him and other nations can see the evidence of that blessing and favor upon them. But it's only if God is the, in control that that can happen because it's by His hand that He raises a nation up. It's not by their greatness, their stature, their awesome knowledge, education, and ability. It's the hand of God that brings that nation up and elevates them to a place of influence. And the Bible says that as Christians, we are to emit the fragrance, the aroma of God's goodness, which means there should be evidence in the atmosphere around a people of God that God is good and the blessing is there. That's a part of a witness, right, of a testimony. So he wants to exalt nations. But righteousness seems to be the key here to this scripture of it's going to cause a nation to be exalted. What does that mean specifically? So as you study that word righteousness, you will find that it has a couple of different definitions in the Hebrew. One of them means right standing with God. Which simply means that when we are washed clean of the blood of Jesus, that we are restored back into a relationship with God, a closeness and an intimacy that we were not born into this world with because we were born into the world in sin. Adam and Eve messed that up, right? That whole condition of being in right standing with God got jacked up in the garden right in the beginning. So the blood of Jesus washes us clean, and that's the only way that we can get back into right standing or righteousness with God as it pertains to that definition. Now, another way that you can view that, that the Bible speaks about righteousness, is right living. Okay, it's important that you understand the two distinctions. So when you're reading the scriptures, is, is it right standing? Is it right living? What's they, what is it talking about here? So right living is, is walking justly. It's walking in obedience and uprightly in the ways of the Lord. So when we're living in a way that's consistent with what the Word of God tells us and teaches us to live, then we are walking in righteousness. In fact, that phrase is used a lot. Walk in righteousness, those who walk in righteousness, and so on. And so that means that we're living the way that God's calling us to. This is the everyday thing. This is the part where every day you wake up, you have the opportunity to live according to the principles and precepts of the Bible or to not and to, to live against that. And this is what I have found, and it's the truth that has really kind of set me free. And when you look at the scripture, you can see that the righteousness of God, meaning the right standing, 
is totally undeserved. There's nothing that we can do as human beings in the flesh. There's no strength that exists in us to get ourselves into right standing with God. It's only a supernatural event, one of graciousness where God's grace is just imparted. It says imputed to us, you know, because of the blood of Christ. And we have faith in that. But this idea of right living, doing what I'm supposed to do, living the way I'm supposed to live, you know, honoring God and His commands and not erring away into sin or off course. Has anybody besides me figured out that's a hard thing to do? <laughs> Two honest people. I love honesty. Thank you so much. Awesome. Two guys. All right. No, I mean, it's a hard thing to do if you're trying to do it in the flesh, if you're trying to do it in your own strength. But what I found is that the same grace of God that, is, that saves our soul, that rescues us from the bondage, the clutches of sin and death, and makes us in right standing, is the same grace that God wants to empower us with every single day to live the life that we're called to live. So if you can have faith to be saved, you should have faith to be able to live the way God has called you to. Does that make sense? You simply have to believe in God's ability and His power and His Word to lead you instead of in your own strength. And so we see that righteousness exalts a nation. So right standing and right living. But there's a third kind of righteousness, and I think it's speaking of that in this scripture especially, where it talks about like a corporate righteousness, where it's literally that the, the priorities of the nation and of the people are set toward God and that He is in the uppermost position. He is in the highest place of authority and the way that land is governed, is ruled, and how we look to for our ultimate standard. And when that's the bedrock of a society, she's positioned to be blessed. She's positioned to be raised up by the hand of God. And when that happens, folks, it is remarkable the fruitfulness, the prosperity, and the blessing that that land will enjoy. And let me add that those who are a part of that land will also live in and enjoy. You ever heard that saying, rising tide raises all ships? Right? When a nation is being blessed, we, we can be stepping into blessing that we don't even hardly recognize and realize sometimes is because the favor of God is abounding in the land. L listen to this. Let's go to Psalms chapter 65, verses 9 through 13. And I want you to hear the qualities, the description of a prosperous, blessed land or nation. It says, you visit the earth and you water it. The psalmist is, of course, speaking to God. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Doesn't that sound amazing? They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. So every nook and cranny of the land is enjoying this prosperity, this blessing. In verse 13, the pastures are clothed with flocks, 
The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. You see, a nation that is blessed is singing with joy. And it's singing its praises to the Lord. It's not crying in pain and in agony. It's, it's shouting and crying with joy and thankfulness and appreciation. And we see that when nations were living that way, when they recognized that prosperity was by the hand of the Lord and they desired to stay in that place by seeking God, they continued to navigate that way. It's only when they take their eyes off of Him and turn it to themselves or other means that that form of blessing and prosperity starts to live. Because God will not go where He's not welcome. Let me ask you something. Is God still welcome in our nation the way He used to be? No. Is He welcome in our schools the way that He used to be? Is He welcome in government the way He used to be? Right? Am I, am I talking to anybody today? And so if we are forcing God out of these places of society, what can we expect to happen? Ultimately, He won't stay where He's not welcome, right? But where He's welcome and where He's invited and where He's given a place, blessing and favor and prosperity abounds. Listen to this in Psalm 67. Verses 4 through 7. It says, O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Stop for a second. Do you see that? And he governs the nations on earth. It's basically putting God above ourselves, it's putting him above any wisdom that we can contract on our own to try to figure out how to govern ourselves. It says we're going we're gonna to follow the leading of a holy God, and as long as He's governing and He's leading this thing, then we know we can expect to continue to walk in that favor and blessing. Verse 5 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. He shall bless us, and the ends of the earth shall fear Him. Now, Psalms 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He has chosen as His own inheritance. So, the key is where God stands, where His place in our lives and in society is. And if we will permit Him and... Furthermore, to desire Him to have access in all these places, then we will be able to see that supernatural hand of power and provision and protection that I believe has rested upon our nation since the beginning. And I would say that I want to see my kids and grandkids and further generations until Jesus comes back be able to enjoy greater levels of fruitfulness than what we have enjoyed. Is that anybody else's prayer, right? Amen. And so, I think that nations who are blessed, who have that favor upon them, are great representations to the rest of the world, to other nations that, hey, there is a God and He is good, and that His blessing and favor are upon us, and that's why we experience what we experience here, where we really glory in Him and not in ourselves. But there are times where if that, isn't a, if that doesn't continue that way, then it goes the other direction. And there's a particular story in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22. 
And it's about a king. His name is Josiah. Now listen to this. This is very interesting when we read these couple of chapters about King Josiah. What we see happened as a result of God getting in place in society that he had lost. So for a number of years, the father, grandfathers of King Josiah had walked away from the Lord. So one day, King Josiah says that he's going to send some servants. They're going to go into the temple. They're going to gather up the money that's been given, the offering, and they're going to pay wages for some of the craftsmen who are doing repairs on the temple. And they go there to get the money, and when they do, the high priest's name was Hilkiah. It says that he, he found the book of the law when he was there. So he somehow stumbled upon the Holy Scriptures, which means if he found them, they must have been lost to begin with. Are you with me? Somewhere along the line, everybody forgot about this. Even the king, it says when he came back and showed King Josiah the Scriptures, and they read them to him, that King Josiah began to tear his clothes, which is a sign of lamenting, it's a sign of grief, it's recognizing that we have sinned against the Lord. So he starts reading these scriptures. And what he concludes is, oh my gosh, we're not doing any of this. In fact, not only are we not doing what it says, we're actually doing what it says not to do. Which is always the way that it goes. You never remain neutral. You know, have you ever figured that out? If you're not focusing on God, guess what? You automatically go the wrong direction, right? And so he sees that they've been doing all these things that they shouldn't be doing. For example, they had constructed shrines and temples to idols. And they even had some of them in their own temples. And so they were worshiping idols and they were giving place to other gods in their society. Now, just going to touch on this, but you got to know that idol worship is not as, as crazy as what sometimes we might think it is. For these folks in this time, you know, they made shrines to gods who were gods of fertility or gods of prosperity, different kinds of things. But really, an idol is simply anything that we put in place where God should be. It's anything that we usurp God's place in our life with. It can be our job. It can even be a relationship. It can be money. It can be a lot of things that we put in a position that really is reserved for God, and then it becomes an idol in our lives. And then what happens, this is key, if we give way and give place to idol worship, is that it leads to immorality. It leads to decay and the deterioration of society or our lives. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to decay and deteriorate. So he tries to lure our hearts with idols and things that we devote ourselves and our affection to and prioritize above God, and they become a form of worship in our lives. And ultimately, those things lead to places of immorality and sin among us. Here's exactly what they were doing. In these temples of worship, these idol places, they had mystics, they had soothsayers, fortune tellers. They were going to people to try to get wisdom or knowledge about their life and everything else that they should be going to God alone for to begin with. 
That's where they were headed. Let me just say this. Is there a big push in our culture today? Fortune tellers, mysticism, healing powers, stones and jewels and, and rocks. Folks, I'm just telling you, that stuff's evil. You've got to stay away from that because that's dangerous ground. To get into that where it's, you're giving place to something that only God should have access to in your heart. And so then, as a result, they start having all levels of immorality and sinfulness that becomes rampant. And even worse, they start to view what's wrong as right and what's right is wrong. There becomes this sense of imbalance and this real sense of gray over things that should be very black and white if the Holy Scriptures were the standard. They even had one of the particular things that Josiah, so he sees these scriptures and he says, we're changing this. We are changing this. And so he starts to tear down all of these temples, rips them down. It says that he pulverized them into dust. Imagine that. That's how serious this guy recognized what they've fallen into was. And he pulverized the stones and all the things into dust and just spread the ashes after they burned them and everything else and just spread them across the ground. He ripped all those temples down. And he reinstated the festivals and the feasts and the reading of the scriptures and the temple worship. So when the word of God becomes our standard and God has a place in our lives and in our society, it will eradicate things that are harmful for us and it will establish things that are righteous for us. The Word of God does that. It, it, it's a, when it's our guide, it pulls things out of our lives or society that are harmful and deceitful. It eradicates them and then it establishes and instills healthy foundation that we can build upon. And that's what Josiah did. By doing this, it even said that they stopped, he stopped allowing them, this is horrible, stopped allowing them to sacrifice their children to the God of Molech. There was a God, an idol worship, Molech, and to worship to Molech would be to take children and put them, through, put them in a furnace in a fire. When we were in Israel, we looked over the valley, the shadow of death, the valley, where that's, those sacrifices were allowed to take place in a society that was birthed by a promise of God. You think any society isn't capable of slipping into this place if that's where they got to? I've heard scholars and other people say, and I'm not sure that I doubt this at all, that the same spirit, evil spirit, that was over that idol of Molech is gaining foothold in our nation today through the institution of abortion. You know, and just willingly sacrificing children, a thing that should be abominable, and it is in the eyes of the Lord. And the whole point is, is that they, they continue to slip more and more into this place. And here we are, Josiah, however many generations it's been, and nobody even knows what the Word of God says. One generation pushes it out, and they turn their eye. The next generation is un uneducated about it the third generation it's never even been a thought it's not it's a complete it's not even a thought it's they don't even know it's not even a part of what their history is is in, in their mind and that's where this nation had got to but praise God as he did this and tore these things down all of a sudden guess what the nation starts to prosper again the people turn they repent 
They see that they need to give their heart toward God. They worship Him. They give Him the place in society that He requires. And they begin to enjoy that privilege and that blessing and that favor that comes upon them because God is put first in society. And we need to, we need to be in that same place as we move forward for generations to come in our nation if we want to continue. I mean, it's just pattern it's just biblical principle here if we want to continue to see what we've saw we have to get back to where it was that we started and continue to move in that direction not shift and steer away from that and we the church the body of christ we are the solution we are the ones who can make the impact and make the difference in this. We're not just these innocent bystanders sitting back and waiting for some people to pull strings and decide our fate. We're the body of Christ. <laughs> We've been given the Spirit of God to walk in power and authority. So when we say, hey, you know what? I, I have a mandate. If my nation is going to rise up and be strong, it's up to me. Just like it's up to everyone else. And I'm going to choose to live my life according to the ways of the Lord and how He's called me to. And when we do, guys, every one of these areas of society is touched. It's permeated. It's impacted by the goodness and the favor and the power of God. If we go into these areas that we touch all of us in different ways in our life all the time, completely void of, of living for God and knowing that His power is working through us, then nothing meaningful will ever happen there. It's impossible to please God without faith. But if we go into these places allowing God to shine through us and ultimately for His power to work in us, then the world can see that there's something desirable to be found in living a life that's blessed by God. Never has the church been successful enforcing people into religion it tried it in the dark ages it failed miserably you can't force people to choose to love god and to live for him it's, it it fails every time but when a people are blessed and they're living blessed and the favor of god is emanating like an aroma in the land it's drawing people into what's good and they can see for themselves that that's the kind of life that they want to have and then it's making a difference. It's actually swaying culture instead of us being swayed by culture. That's why Jesus said, you've got to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm going to put you there so that you can make a difference. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you'll live for God in your atmosphere and in your environment, guess what? You'll see the atmosphere change and the climate shift around you because God is moving through you in that thing. Amen? I want to close with this. So, Apostle Paul says something in his closing letter to Timothy. And frankly, there's three words in here that have just riveted me for months now. And I, I just, I almost just can't even contain myself. But chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, first four verses. He says, I charge you therefore before God, Timothy, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the three words. You ready? Preach the word. That's it. That's it. Preach the word. 
And I don't know if it's just me, what I'm going through or what, I don't know. But that verse just absolutely grabbed me and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it for months and God just keeps telling me. This is what it's about right here. If I've come to the point, I wasn't always in this place, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought building the church, doing these things, had to have, you know, some real brilliant strategy, had to come up with some great ideas, some great plans. Those things happen, don't get me wrong. But I think my faith in those things building the church had got to an unhealthy level. Like somehow the plans and the things that we were coming up with, the projects and all these things, like that was going to grow the church. And if we didn't do those, we might miss it, you know. And God just like steps me back and says, just preach the word. It's always built the church and it'll always build the church. If you could just become a student of this word, if, if you can just revere doctrine and immerse yourself in the truth of God, the bread of life, and you just let me pour it into you and you just pour it out to people, I'll build the church. I'll do it. And I've just realized, like, we don't have to do anything to manipulate anything, to try to pull strings to get things to happen. If this word is our compass, if this is our guide, he'll build the church, he'll build our lives, he'll build a nation. He will build it on something substantial because nations rise and nations fall. But the word of God, it stands forever. It stands forever. Amen. Just preach the word. And I would say that to each and every one of us too. Just immerse yourself in the word of God and let it speak to your heart every single day and let him guide you to live the life that he's called you to. And when a people in a nation, in a land, I mean, Jesus came for the whole world. That means a lot of nations. You get what I'm saying? A lot of nations can be blessed, but blessed nations can lead other nations. And if we'll recognize that we're, we're it, guys, the church, grassroots here in our society, in our country, in our community, living for God, pouring out the love of God and the compassion in a way that's totally attractional. Just like Jesus exemplified, people were drawn to Him because there was something about Him. He was a man of conviction and he was a man of compassion and he towed the line more perfectly than anyone has ever towed it before. He is our example. And if we'll live the way he's calling us to live, we will see the same kinds of things that happen. That God will be welcomed, he'll be invited, he'll be given place in our society and he will be the influence that changes and makes the difference over everything that happens in our land. I know that we are a people who have been blessed. We are a nation who has lived under a blessing because of the way our forefathers set this thing up. They revered the Word of God. They respected it. And communities, as they were formed, they valued what God had to say about all matters pertaining to life. 
if it conflicted with the word of God, it simply was not permitted. That's the place we have to get back to. And it's not going to happen if you and I don't rise up and take our place and recognize we are mandated with the mission of doing this. We are the ones who carry the power and the goodness of God, and we can pour that out to a world who is desperate and hungry for it. Once they taste it, once they get it, how many can attest to that? Once you found out about the goodness of God, once you tasted the real thing, you can never go back. You can never go back. There was a point in my life where I didn't want nothing to do with it, but once I actually opened my heart and I tasted it and I walked in and experienced it, I was wrecked. I could never go back again. It's too late. I've seen something now. My eyes have been uncovered. A veil has fallen. I can never unsee what I've seen. And I will never go back to living the way that I used to live. Now I'm going to hang on to a holy God who loves me, whose grace is with me every single day so that I can become who He's created me to be. And I just have enough faith to believe if we all do that together in the church that our nation will continue to be blessed and we will see favor and prosperity in our land for many generations to come until Jesus returns. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today, please?